0: Hello again, everybody. It's Ron Remkes here with CFA Institute. And today I'm joined by Sonny Kelsey, CEO of Green Oak Real Estate. Sonny, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Ron, for the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. Um, So we wanted to, uh, whenever we talk with uh, somebody who's with an investment firm, we always want to talk about people, process, and philosophy. Could you just articulate for your company what that means to you?
1: Well, so our company is eight years old, so we're not super old. Um, uh, We're not a startup anymore. A lot of us work together for a long time. Um, So many of us have been together for 28 years now. So there's a lot of common philosophy there, right? First of all, a lot of common people, right? So many of us have been together for 20, 25 years. Um, I'd say a couple of things. One, um, everyone doesn't have to think the same way because I think groupthink can lead to you know not really fully betting things and you can make tough you can make bad decisions what I do think is important though is that people have a open environment where they feel comfortable challenging one another having the dialogue pressure testing stuff but doing it in a way where they can still be friends right and that yeah. that is really important right and I think that's it can't something be hard that, to do right <laughs> it's hard to do it's, it's either a lot of times it's one end of the spectrum or the other right, right. open hostility or a bunch of sheep. Right. And neither one leads to a good outcome. Right. right man. Look at our business, like a lot of businesses, the biggest, most important thing we got to do is attract and retain great people. And I think a big part of that is definitely culture.
0: For sure. So uh, when you guys are dealing with challenges like we've got today with the Fed going through uh, a tightening cycle. Um, What are your expectations for uh, what's happening with interest rates and how you think that might affect uh, the real estate market? Right.
1: So, Look, I've I've been in the camp that I thought rates were going up for a long time now, so I'm actually glad that they're finally going up, and I'm probably surprised. I think like a lot of people have been, if you look at the forward curve, it's a lot later than most people thought it was going to be. So I'm definitely not surprised by it. And our view is that if the economy continues to improve, rates are going to go up. Notwithstanding the job though, that might be coming out of different parts of Washington. Um, and look, I think that there's that's not necessarily a bad thing in our view. Look, I think that in the short term, rates going up or it's oftentimes disruptive to real estate mm-hmm. because real estate trades on a cap rate basis, which is a, a yield or an inverse of a multiple. And there is correlation historically between rates going up and cap rates going up. Right. Which is bad for valuations. Yeah. If. Interest rates are going up because the economy is growing and you can charge higher rents, then that's your hedge. Uh, that, that becomes what ultimately might save you from a real estate perspective because financing costs might be going up, cap rates might be going up, but you might be p- applying it to a higher rental income. But that doesn't often match exactly timing wise.
0: Right. And do you think the, the recent tax cuts in the U.S. Um, are going to uh, bolster that? At- yeah.
1: Well, I think that the tax cuts certainly bolstered the economy, yeah. right? So I think you know, I think the numbers are coming out recently that, that there's an expectation that we had 3% growth this last quarter. Um, that's pretty amazing, right, for an economy of our size. And so I don't think that the tax cuts directly drive that from a real estate perspective. I think real estate gets the indirect benefit because a, a rising economy is good for real estate.
0: Okay. So as you look at the various segments uh, of the real estate market, do you think that um, some segments might do better than others? Uh, You know, you got commercial real estate, multifamily housing, uh, whatever. You know, I realize that you you guys operate in a lot of different segments. Yeah,
1: in a rising rate environment. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, look, I think the asset classes that will do the worst are the ones that are long-term locked on their rents, right? So any, any asset class where you do not have the ability to raise rents to offset the increase in interest rates, Those assets will do the worst. So, for example, there's a whole sector of triple net leased assets, which are long dated leases, oftentimes to really good credits. Sometimes they have indexation. So it means if there's inflation, they can raise the rent. Sometimes they don't. If they don't have indexation, those are going to do the worst. Those assets where you can raise your rents every day are going to do the best. So, you know. Hotels are the best example, right? You can raise your rent every day, right? Now, hotels have other risks of them. Apartment buildings are not a bad example. Most apartments are leased for a year, right? So, you know, those are usually ones where you can pass through, hopefully, that rental increase to offset what's going on in interest rates. So it's not surprisingly like a long-dated bond. If you have a long-dated bond with no ability to get a higher rate out of it, that's going to do worse. The value of that will go down in a rising rate environment. Real estate's the same way.
0: Right. So let's turn to the retail channel specifically um, with the, you know, the ongoing success of Amazon and internet-based shopping and you know, a lot of retailers beginning to struggle. Uh, what is your view on that segment of the market? And is there anybody in that retail space that's sort of bucking the trend? Are they creating an edge somehow that might not be expected?
1: Yeah. So look, I think that the disruption that we see going on in retail is still early. Like, you know, I'll use the inning analogy. I think it's still where the early innings of this is going to pick up steam because it still hasn't actually hit certain sectors. Um, Look, I think that that what seems to have done well is stuff that is more tactile that people have to touch in order to get so, you know, whether it's new fitness concepts, right, which, you 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 know, you could do a Peloton at home, but there are certain classes and different things. What we've seen in terms of the tenancy, which is doing better, are places where people want to go, um, look, there's been a huge um, change from the standpoint of retail owners that are trying to take their centers, which may have been traditionally focused on selling clothing, and have them much more focused on lifestyle. So food and beverage, you know, uh, fitness concepts, which require being there in person and doing it with other people, et cetera. Because that's the stuff you can't get offline, right? Um, that's probably been the biggest area where we've seen, you know, put aside the, the apple here and there and all that. But there's only... Unfortunately, there's usually only one Apple store in a location, right? And so they can't be everywhere. Um, The bad news is that for every good old traditional retailer that's going away, there's not a new concept to replace them. It's not a one-for-one thing, which means I think there's going to be more pain in the sector before we find a bottom. Okay. And
0: uh, have you noticed any repurposing of those assets for
1: yeah, it depends It depends on location and all that. But, you know, for example, the malls. If you have a well-located mall, but you just don't have, like, anchors are disappearing right and left, right? Uh, what ends up happening is malls are often pretty well-located, have good egress and ingress. They're near highways, near public transportation. So what I've seen some really good mall developers doing is taking those old stores, those big boxes, tearing them down and putting up apartment buildings, right? Putting up other assets so you can take advantage of all the infrastructure that's there. Uh, in a creative way.
0: So I know that uh, from uh, looking uh, a little bit at the uh, profile of your company, about a third of your investments are in uh, multifamily housing. Is that right? In the U.S., yeah. Um, and I know that there's also uh, sort of a trade-off in the rental market versus uh, home ownership market. Yeah. Um, and how do you see that right now? And, and, you
1: know, is that trend changing at all? Yeah, so I would say, generally speaking, um, Home. We do not have an oversupply of single-family homes in the U.S. right now. So one of the things that happened in the financial crisis is we had too many homes. They were very easy to finance. A lot of times you could borrow 95%, 100%, right? That's what led to the subprime issue. Where the market is now is different. There's not an oversupply of homes. There's a shortage of buyers, though, right? And it's a couple of things. Part of it is demographic. Uh, I hate to generalize, but the millennials in general have not been buying homes as much. I think there are a couple of factors. One, they have less net savings between student debt, et cetera, less savings. Number two, it's harder to get a loan. Banks don't lend as aggressively. Uh, You know, the subprime lenders are all gone, right? So say what you want about them. They offered financing to a lot of people that would have otherwise not qualified. Is
0: this starting to change at all with, like, FHA stepping in, filling in? Not in a
1: material enough way yet. No, So between demographics, in terms of where the savings are, or are not are not financing what's happened there. But also I think there's another factor, which is part of when we're talking about the disruption, the sharing economy, the younger generation has much less of an attachment to owning than maybe you and I did in terms right. of what we grew up with, right? Um, I, I think that they're happy to share cars. They're happy to share whatever, and they seem to be increasingly happy to rent, not buy, right? And so those factors are, it, what's interesting is, there are a lot of very smart investors. yeah. yeah Blackstone's the biggest example because they bought the most. They bought a lot of homes in distress coming out of the financial crisis. And I think they probably initially thought it was a trade. There was a great opportunity to buy this stuff cheap, package it up and sell it. Yeah. It's a business because what's ended up happening is some of those same people who might say, you know, I, I actually would like to have a house with a backyard for my kids to play in and all that, but I don't have the money or the I can't afford to buy something or I'm not sure I want to take that that leap. There are not a lot of homes for them to rent, right? So they don't just have to rent multifamily. They can rent a home, and it can be a nice home. It doesn't have to be something off Craigslist where they're, like, afraid of what might go crawl out of the basement at night, right? Now, at the same token, the U.S. has got good growth, good demographics, positive population growth. So there's always a trade-off, you know, between ownership and rentals. In the mid two thousands, homeownership rate got up to seventy percent, close to seventy percent, unsustainably high. It's back closer to sixty percent now. Yeah. I think it might go lower, and which I think is good for anything where you're renting people stuff to live in, as opposed to trying to sell it to them.
0: Okay. Um, so I know that you look at more than just the U.S. Uh, I know you, you guys are global investors. When you when you do venture abroad. How do you deal with uh, the fundamentals of those markets versus global macro
1: issues like uh, interest rates and currencies and all that stuff? So everywhere we invest, we consider ourselves local, right? So we have offices in London, Madrid, Milan, Tokyo, Seoul. Those offices are staffed by locals, right? So our team in Japan is Japanese. Our team in London, well, let's say there are no Brits in London. They're all Europeans, (laughs) but they're they're Europeans, right? Right. And so one of the teams are local. They operate locally. That's their, that's what they, they don't wake up every day saying, how does an American think about investing in Madrid? They wake up saying, how does a Spaniard invest in Madrid? Right. Right. The other thing is that um, in Europe, 100% in Europe and significantly in Asia, we've been able to raise money in local currency. So when we invest in, uh, in Italy or Spain, we're investing euros. We're not investing dollars. Oh, is right? that right? Okay. Yeah, most of our equities, we've been able to... So you got natural hedging there. We've got natural hedge. We're borrowing locally, so that's a natural oh, hedge. We raised our equity locally, too. Well, not, we raise equity around the world, but we raise it from, you know, in that local currency. It gets too hard otherwise. I think if you're a big financial institution with a big balance sheet, you can hedge that. Okay. To do it as a mid-sized firm, it gets a lot more expensive. So we could do it. We do it, you know, we do it for some of our investors who don't have the ability to do the local currency in other markets. But that's a that's a ad hoc product. That's not something that we do off the off the shelf for everybody.
0: Okay. So just to sort of wrap it up here, uh, I know that you've been at this uh, quite a while. Yeah.
1: And the gray in my <laughs> Twenty eight years. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I just shaved mine. I shaved off all my grade. If you could talk a little bit about you know some of the mistakes and hard fought lessons yeah. that you've learned yeah. over a
1: career. A lot. Yeah. A lot. I'm a sure. lot of mistakes. Um, I would say a couple. Look. I would say I learned a lot of my career in different cycles, and then I learned three times as much as all of that in the 08-09 downturn. Could right, wrong, yeah. right. Part of it, was the scale got a lot bigger. Look, I did a couple of things. One, uh, we we got too big, and too big was defined not just as a terms of AUM, but also the type of products we had and the geographic, you know. Diver, uh, um, Uh, the number of places where we were, right? So at my prior firm, we were invested in 33 countries. In hindsight, I'd say it was 23 too many, right? We did pretty well in 10. We stayed, continued to do pretty well in 10. Ironically, the 10 were probably 10 of the better, bigger, more diversified places. Um, So that was a big lesson learned for us, right? Just don't go somewhere you don't need to go just for the sake of going there. Um, uh, You know, Make sure you've got local people on the ground that you, as much as possible, have capital where you're not taking cross-border issues on that capital, whether it's financing risk, currency risk, right? try to get as much natural hedge in place as you can. Um, be cautious about leverage. Right? I think in the last cycle, a lot of real estate investors were borrowing 70%, 80% plus of what they were buying. You know, We're more in the 50 to 60% range now, as we are as an investor. Um, you know, just it's very basic, but just know what you don't know and don't assume you're going to wake up tomorrow knowing what you don't know, right? And, and being simple, I always thought, look, our business is not that complicated. I think we're good at it, but part, part of that being good at it is keeping it pretty tight and not doing things that we don't really have any bandwidth for. Don't step outside your bounds, right? Don't step outside of our bounds. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, uh, it's been great to- uh, talking with you and uh, sharing all your insight. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. and you. And uh, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, Please be sure to follow all of our content uh, online at cfainstitute.org as well as Enterprising Investor. Copyright 2018, CFA Institute, All Rights Reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.